And so it really opens up, you know, the the world to being connected through, you know, through these the through the lightning network and all of these things. We don't have to trust all of these other people and uh, start having everyone take a cut in the middle and uh, wait for you know transaction times. I think that once you start using this, you realize how silly all of like these other uh, the traditional banking system is and that, okay, if you want to send to Europe, you have to wait three days for it to clear and all of the, the stuff. I mean, it's, it's really nuts. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we're talking to Graham Krizik. Graham is the CEO and founder of Voltage. Voltage is a company that builds Bitcoin enterprise infrastructure. They build node solutions for Bitcoin and Lightning Network. They also have a BTC pay server product. Graham is an expert on all things Lightning Network. We enjoy the time to pick his brain about how the Lightning Network works. We explore why the Lightning Network is such an important development in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Lightning is an entirely different animal apart from base layer Bitcoin. It can take some time to grasp how it works. Suffice to say, it encompasses the best features and security of Bitcoin blockchain and adds speed and flexibility on top of it, all while providing better privacy for participants. It's an incredible development and worth spending some time learning about. If you want to learn more about how the Lightning Network works, we will link a few resources in the show notes. You can follow Graham on Twitter at GKrizik, K-R-I-Z-E-K, and you can follow Voltage at Voltage underscore Cloud. As always, you can follow us at Blue underscore Collar BTC. Enjoy the show. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Graham Krizik, welcome to the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure. Lightning Network, we use the word, we touch on it now and again, but this is going to be a great opportunity to just rip on. We're going to try to hit the surface stuff, but we're also going to try to, at at points, go deep. Let's start here. Mm -hmm. For those in our audience that aren't familiar with you or what you're up to, give us your background and, and current involvement in Bitcoin. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my, I guess my Bitcoin experience started in about 2012. Um, found out about it through the Silk Road. It was really my entry point and just learning about this, you know, this website that you could buy and sell illicit materials on it. Um, and that was, it was really fascinating to me from like an OPSEC level of how are these people able to do this, right? Like it's, you know, the typical methods, you definitely get shut down. How is this operating? Um, and that's where I kind of re- started researching it found out about Bitcoin, PGP encryption, Tor, all of these, you know, privacy preserving technologies. And I was really just kind of hooked from there. Um, I found it to be just fascinating. Uh, And so I kind of kept it as a hobby for a long time, you know, went through college, was a software engineer for a long time in both startups and large companies. Uh, So it was always a hobby. And then uh, come, you know, beginning of last year or so, uh, started wanting to kind of focus more on Bitcoin. 
uh, and I just started looking at, you know, what's what are areas that Bitcoin needs and what are areas that, you know, we need to improve upon to bring Bitcoin to, to the world. And I really saw that as the Lightning Network as, you know, that next step in Bitcoin's life cycle. And there's a lot of things to be done with it to help, you know, bring up the adoption and make it easier to use all of these things. Uh, and so that's where I started looking at, you know, the infrastructure level of the Lightning Network and found that there's, I think there's a pretty significant gap in uh, tooling and services that help you run infrastructure for Lightning Network and Bitcoin generally. Um, so that's really what I set out to do is create Voltage. It's a Bitcoin infrastructure provider. Um, and so we run, we host Bitcoin nodes, Lightning nodes, BTC pay server. Uh, we have a few new products coming out that will help with uh, onboarding of the Lightning Network, things like that. So it's really, uh, Voltage is aimed at being full service Bitcoin infrastructure provider, um, you know, whatever it is that our clients need. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we are today. Uh, and we're just trying to, to grow the Lightning Network and onboard as many people as we can. That's awesome. There's a couple of terms you used right away that I want to just get out there and get in front of because some of our audience might not understand yeah. what it is. So you said Tor, and yep. that's the Onion Routing Network. Can you explain mm -hmm. in just basically in a quick summary of what Tor is and how that applies to the Lightning Network? Yeah, for sure. So Tor is its, it's its own network that operates independent of Bitcoin or anything like that. It can you know be used for, you know, a lot of journalists use it and things like that. But what Tor is, is it's a peer-to-peer -peer network that allows you to essentially be anonymous on the internet. You know, without using Tor, the standard ways you sites can track your IP address, where you're coming from, all of this information about you. Tor removes that ability and it removes that ability by doing something that's called um, onion encryption. So that's where the, you know, the Tor is the onion uh, router or routing. And uh, so what it does is when I am connecting to, say, Google.com, uh, my connection is encrypted to three different connections along the way, three different servers in the world. And so when I connect to Google.com, my connection goes to Africa, to Europe, and then uh, maybe China, maybe China's around Tor nodes, but Japan or something. Um, and then Google sees me coming from Japan instead of wherever I'm at in the world. And so it's a privacy preserving technology. Um, and it really helps with a lot of these uh, countries that uh, are very oppressive where they don't let you view, you know, um, any kind of state provided media or anything like that. Um, it really helps people in those countries get access to things that yeah. they wouldn't otherwise have access to. Yeah. In practical terms, I've, I've used Tor a few times to access Binance, even though you're not supposed to be able to as an American. So just yeah. some practicality for you folks out there. If you want to use Binance, just use Tor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And to tie this back to the Lightning Network, virtually all Lightning nodes are, are run through Tor, correct? Um, I wouldn't say all, but there's a large majority of them. Um, so what... So the so Tor is great for privacy, like I just mentioned, but it, what it also really helps with is... Um, like uh, network network address translation, which basically means if you're running a Raspberry Pi at home, um, you don't, it might be one hard to expose like your public IP to the network because with standard ISPs, they change your IP address on you. Um, and then it's also less private where, you know, you're saying, you're basically telling the world, hey, I live at this address almost like, you know, and people, a lot of people don't want that. So they use Tor on the Lightning Network to one, make it easier to connect and then also hide, you know, your private location. So it's very popular and it helps a lot with the Lightning Network, but there's a lot that are not using Tor as well. Yeah. This probably goes without saying, but the Voltage node platform, right? If you're running a Lightning Network through Voltage in the cloud, it's routed through Tor, correct? 
by default, we have a couple different plans. With our more professional plans, we give you the option to use ClearNet IP addresses. But with our more basic plans, they start out with Tor. Okay. Um, that's both like a, a usability piece, but then it's also like we want to be, you know, our, we've written the platform to be very, very secure and privacy focused. So that's what we want to, you know, ensure for our users is that they are as private as they can be. And then if they want to, uh, remove some of that privacy, they have the option to, but you know, starting out with privacy by default. Excited to get more into the details there. Before we do, in the spirit of laying the foundation, mm-hmm. um, let's go back to, for, our audience, for members of our audience that just want to go back to 101. Yeah. What is the Lightning Network? What, are the, what is a layer two solution on Bitcoin? Why do we need it? Explain it to us like we're two boomers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so uh, so really, I'll start with like layer two in general. So why a layer two is needed is because um, because Bitcoin is so secure in the base layer. Um, there's some trade offs that have to happen, and some of those trade offs are uh, the slower block times, which are you know every approximately ten minutes, and uh, it's the uh, you have to kind of pay the miners to validate your transactions, which is the fees that you pay on it. Um, naturally, to make Bitcoin as secure and stable as it is, we have to have those those things in place. And because we have those things in place, it makes it maybe not so great for small amounts of trend, like paying just $5 or something on Bitcoin. And then also um, there's that delay in sending. So, you know, I want to pay for a cup of coffee at Starbucks is a great example. Um, you know, to have the assurance that it went through, you have to wait 30 minutes for the confirmations to happen. And then you might be paying in a high fee environment, you might be paying $5 in fees for that $5 cup of coffee. So right. um, it kind of makes it makes it uh, it limits the use case for Bitcoin as far as payments go. And so what layer two solutions enable are essentially faster payments that are cheaper. Uh, and so by removing uh, the need to validate every single transaction in the base layer, you uh, enable way more scalability. So you could send, you know, lots of transactions instantly for free um, across, there's there's several different layer two solutions. Um, so there's like the Lightning Network, there's the Liquid side chain, there's a few other side chains. Um, but really, so the objective of layer two is to make Bitcoin more scalable, more easy to use, right? Um, and so getting into the Lightning Network, what the Lightning Network is, is a, it's a network of payment channels, essentially. And what a payment channel is, it's, it's me and another person on the network where we both agree to open up a channel to each other where we you know, deposit some amount of Bitcoin into the channel. And that channel gets conf- confirmed in the base layer. So it's like a kind of standard Bitcoin transaction to create the payment channel. But once we have that payment channel established, we can send in between each other as many times as we want and for free or for very little money. Um, And so it enables us to basically do millions of transactions for one base layer transaction. And so when you think about bringing this, you know, people uh, using it in a much more seamless way, when you think about Venmo or something like that, uh, this is the way that, you know, it, it conceptualizes. And we still have the same assurances that, you know, we aren't, this isn't a custodial platform. This is still peer to peer, through the encryption mechanisms that exist in the Lightning Network, we can still assure that no one is stealing each other's money. Um, and then bring it to a global scale. You can, on the Lightning Network, route payments through others. And so if I need to pay someone in Africa, but I don't have a direct channel established with them, I can pay through five other people around the world 
to route a payment into, you know, that, that person in Africa. And so that's what really, you know, thinking about bringing uh, the Lightning Network to, to the world, that this is the way that we use Bitcoin uh, in 90% of the, and 90% of the people that are just interacting with it. And it really separates uh, where the Bitcoin base layer is more like, you know, you can think of it more like the banking system where it's really great for like millions of dollars. You're moving these big transactions all over the place and uh, doing things that you need a lot more assurance for. And then all of these more uh, smaller micro payments, uh, you know, things that you just need to send fast. That's what the Lightning Network and these other um, layer two solutions are for. Great. I want to go into the weeds just a tad here. Um, so mm-hmm. when you're saying that they're locking up Bitcoin on a wallet, so like there's a there's a transaction and it would be called it's called a hash time lock contract. So I think a lot of people don't understand that there are some basic contracts that can be executed on Bitcoin. Not nothing as mm-hmm. um, as technical as what happens on Ethereum, but what effectively they're doing is locking a contract on a single with a multi signature address, and then those two parties agree to hold that balance together, and then on the second layer they can transact infinite amount of times. And then eventually when they want to close their channel, that same contract is finalized and then they're paid out accordingly. Is that an accurate way to describe that, that contract? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, that's a pretty good summary and you could think about it. Like when you open up a channel, you could think of it as like beads on a string and, you know, you can only move beads from like one side to the other. Uh, you know, of course, with like routing through other people, you know, you can do that multiple times across people, but really um, you're moving beads on a string. And when you want to close out that channel, that's when you, you know, you close the payment channel and you go back to the base layer and then whatever beads are on your side is what you have. And then through the things like you mentioned of hash time lock contracts, it enables it to be, uh, you have some assurance that you can get, like if you, if we put in, you know, I open up a one Bitcoin channel to you, you have nothing on your side. You know, we, we do route paint, we do routing and all these things and you have the Bitcoin on your side. There's assurances that you can't just like run away with the money, you know, through these contracts and the, the encryption that happens on the Lightning Network. Peers are always communicating. So there, there's a lot of assurances that are built into the network itself. So you're talking about scalability. So on, on the base mm-hmm. layer of Bitcoin, we're optimized to the nth degree for resiliency, trustlessness anti-fragility, the list can go on. Yep. And then the Lightning Network is this layer two that allows us to scale. You know, I think I think one way to quantify that for people is Visa's doing whatever, four or 5,000 transactions a second. The Bitcoin base layer does what, seven? So we needed a solution to meet that in the middle and the Lightning Network enables that. My question is this, what compromises are we making as we move towards scalability in the Lightning Network? Um, like yeah. what, what are we, what are we giving up? Cause yeah, is centralization a worry? Sure. So, uh, so yeah, a, cu- a couple of things. So yes, you're right that like, you know, this is the scalability thing where like you could do 25 million transactions a second on the lightning network where, you know, um, it basically defeats that argument that Bitcoin is too slow for like a global payment system. Um, right. it completely like debunks that whole argument. So, uh, you're correct in that, that it's, uh, a great way to, to scale, you know, things like TPS or whatever it is. Um, the things that we give up uh, on the Lightning Network are, uh, I think, right as we are today, there's a little bit of like a usability uh, shift in how uh, you use using Lightning is different than how you use the base layer Bitcoin, and so there's a little bit of a usability change there. Um, I think that that's as people like us and a lot of other companies out there are working to make that a more seamless transition and make that a, an, an easier uh, transition for users. 
Um, so I think that will decrease over time. Um, the centralization piece, I don't think is still uh, a very big worry with the Lightning Network because uh, it's still a very much a distributed peer-to-peer network. Um, and I think that uh, people still have the ability to run their own nodes whenever they want. Um, and they have the option to 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 just set up a node at home and just participate. Um, even with providers like us, I mean, I think that we... We are working to distribute ourselves across many, you know, many different hosting providers, many different locations, um, distributing the platform that we have. And then it's uh, additionally, uh, we there's a necessary bootstrapping phase to the network where you know we just got to get as many people online, and then it's going to grow to the scale that um, no amount of like centralization will really happen. And then a final point to that is uh, consensus happens on the base layer. So really, yeah, the like. Point. Yeah, exactly what you said about, you know, Bitcoin is made to be this, uh, you know, unhackable, like super secure network. And all of that happens on the, the base layer. Um, and then everything that is happening on top of these layer two solutions always equate to something on the base layer. Um, and so it's like there's no consensus that happens in the Lightning Network. The Lightning Network could be two people. They just have their own nodes that has a payment channel to each other. And that's all that they that all that is all the Lightning Network that exists to them. And that's fine. Yeah. And so I think that uh, the centralization piece matters less in these layer two solutions um, than it does in the base layer. If we had 90% of the Bitcoin nodes or miners uh, running by one person in the base layer, that's a problem, right? Uh, it matters less as you go up. That's so, an important point. The um, So the, the, the on-chain layer then, as for Lightning, acts as kind of an arbitration layer. So these two parties, if they have a disagreement, they take it to the blockchain and that's the ultimate arbiter of who's correct and you know who's getting paid and who's, uh, and if somebody's dishonest, they can actually lose their entire balance by being dishonest in the end, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned one of the, the question I'm trying to uh, get to around about here is you mentioned that the, the, the transactions happen in kind of the opposite way, which is kind of, I think, jarring for people that first use lightning. There's the... The idea that you have to first create this invoice and then you have to send that to the party you want to be receive money from mm-hmm. and then they pay the invoice. And I think that's kind mm-hmm. of counterintuitive for a lot of people. I know it was for me the first time I used uh, the wallet. I, I couldn't even figure out what it was. It took me a few minutes to figure it out, but afterwards yeah. it's kind of natural. <laughs> what? How does key send work? That's, if I'm correct, that's how you can just send a payment without having to first get an invoice. Is yes. That, yeah. Is that the way you expect this to work in the future? Is that kind of the? It seems like the more natural way for this to work. Yeah. So that's so. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a great point. And that's what when I first started looking at the Lightning Network, I didn't like it a lot because of things like you just said. Like, I, if I want to give my brother a birthday present on the Lightning Network, I had to ask him for an invoice first. Like that's <laughs> right. kind of that's kind of ridiculous, right? Yeah. We actually had a moment. So we we both run Umbrella nodes because we're hacks uh-huh. and uh, we need you know simplicity. <laughs> And yeah. we were we were setting up a lightning channel between the two of us, and we were we were blown away at even how tricky that was to get liquidity going between the two of us. And I think for us, it reminded us like, well, we don't know where our data packets are going on TCP/IP through the internet. Like yeah. one day, nobody's going to have to mess with this shit. But in the meantime, when you're kind of pioneering this and you're on the frontier, mm-hmm. which We'll say we are, but we're not. You actually are. Like it, it is. It's an incredibly complicated, counterintuitive backend that I think yeah. on the application layer 
becomes incredibly simple. You guys are building the Oregon Trail. We're just the guys in the carriages trying not to die. <laughs> we call ourselves the yeah, yeah. Park. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's awesome. That, that That's great. Uh, but okay, so fetch us, fetch us some meat. We're going to be right here <laughs> shooting squirrels. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, okay. So, so to, to your point, Dan, first, yes, like that, uh, we're, we're very much in the early days of all of this. Um, that's, that's why, like, when I said I didn't like lightning when I first saw it, is because it's kind of, I think people see it and they, they think that it's in its final state and this is what the lightning network is and it's not going to get any better, um, which is completely wrong in that we are, you know, the, the protocol itself, the spec is improving all the time the usability, the tools, all these things are improving all the time and it's going to get easier and easier where just like you said, you know, it used to be you were looking at a website or playing a game online. If someone called your home landline, you would get disconnected from the game. Oh, and it is like the worst. Yeah. It's like, so, and then you think about today where you can just, you can stream, you can do all these things all day long. It doesn't like is completely decoupled from the phone lines, all this stuff. So uh, we're very much in those days where, there's it's a little bit it can be a little painful and it's figuring all these stuff out is a little bit challenging but uh it's going to get easier as we move along and a lot of these tools are being built out um but then going back to your question about the key send and invoices so uh that is the way that the lightning network was first created was on like an invoice system where uh someone generates an invoice and then you can pay that invoice and you know it sends it to to the user and all those things um a fairly recent, I mean, it's probably, I don't even know when Keysend came out. It was probably a year ago or so. I don't know. Um, key, there's a thing called Keysend, which basically allows you to send to a node without having requiring them to generate an invoice. Um, makes it way better for what we just said. Like it's more of like the Venmo of payments where, hey, I just want to pay this person. I don't want to require an invoice from them. Yeah. Um, Is there a so, Sorry to interrupt. Is there a reason yeah. that they built it that way? Is there like a fundamental underlying reason for that? Or is that just the way someone arbitrarily decided to to set it up um i'm sh- i'm sure that there I, I have to do a little bit more research on exactly why i'm sure there are reasons why um the that exists I, I i can't say for sure exactly why but there's like i'm sure that there are particular reasons why the whole invoicing system was set up okay um, sorry go on about and it, i think it's yeah, well, and I think it's part of like it being like a peer-to-peer network and like being able to like in your invoice, you can send like route hints and things like that to make it easier to find who you're sending to. Um, but for key send, so when, so when you're sending a, a payment on the Lightning Network, uh, it's basically, it does something that's very similar to Tor, which we just talked about in the beginning of doing onion encryption. So uh, before it sends a payment, it figures out who are the nodes along the route that it's going to use. And then it encrypts it encrypts the the payment you know x number of times for each one of those people where i send to you your node can decrypt it figure out who's going to next and send it on to them and then they decrypt it send it on to the next person so at each point it's encrypted and then decrypted and then re-encrypted along each node yes like i say say if i'm sending a payment that has five hops in it five nodes along the way i encrypt it five different times to each one of their pub keys and so what that what that enables is that if I'm sending a payment and I'm routing through you, you have no idea who I'm sending to because yeah. it's just, you just know the next hop, the next person that it goes to, right. it could be the end. It could not be, you have no idea. So it's a privacy preserving yeah. piece yeah. of that. You could this. be step one or step 16. You have no idea. Yeah. And you have no idea. And there's even new product, new specs being created that even makes it uh, even more private that are like PTLCs and all these things. Um, we don't need to go into those yet, uh, but there's, there's even more, uh, privacy preserving technology being built out to make it even better. Um, 
but still, still going back to the key send thing. So like when you, when you do the payment, um, what, what the, the final settlement piece, so to speak, is what's called a pre-image. And the pre-image is basically the secret to like the, the payment itself. And the only person that can see the pre-image is that person that is the, the final destination. And once they get that, they can basically, uh, they can unlock the funds and it like unlocks the funds for everyone else along the channel. So it, like it moves all of those beads along the string for everyone once they find out this secret. Um, and so uh, when that happens in a normal invoice, like that's like part of the invoice system is they, you know, the pre-images is, uh, is sent along in that packet. But what uh, Keysend does, is it basically includes the, the pre-image in the original payment with like a, what's called a TLV record. It's basically like metadata on the payment. And it's basically saying, hey, here's the secret with the payment where previously it was in the invoice and they had to like, you know, they had to basically come together where when I'm paying you, I'm just saying, hey, here's the secret to it. And so you can just like unlock the funds immediately when you get it. And so it's like, it's almost still using the same invoice system under the hood, but I'm basically giving you the keys to it with the payment. Gotcha. And it's still those people along the way still couldn't steal the funds because of the encryption that I mentioned of the onion encryption. Um, but it's basically giving you the funds with the key at the same time. This question is going to be a, um, a Jack Mallers type, just spike question, but I think it's important <laughs> to, to explain the move forward that lightning represents. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, especially if you're, you live in the West, you live in the first world, you have Venmo and cash app on your phone. You, you don't understand the use case for this. You're sitting mm -hmm. around going, what's so special about strike? I can do the exact same thing on Venmo. Yeah. Take us back to sort of the macro landscape, the global setup and financial inclusion and why both in the first and third world, things like the lightning network are so paradigm shifting. Yep. Yep. Um, so yeah, you, I mean, you make a great point that that's one of the hardest reasons to sell people in the U S or, you know, these first world countries about Bitcoin is there, they, they, the first thing is like, well, why do I need that? I have cash app, I have Venmo. And it's, uh, I think there's the reason why they need it in first world countries is the whole, uh, you're still trusting Venmo, all of these companies to hold your money to, you know, I, I like to think of it as when you, with the whole like credit cards, banking checks, all of these things, it's like giving someone keys to your house and saying, Hey, only go take that lamp over there. Don't take <laughs> yeah. anything else. Yeah. Uh, but they still have the keys to your house, right? Instead, uh, Bit with something like Bitcoin, you don't have to do that. You can just give them the lamp, you know, and that's all they can get. Um, so the, even in the first world countries, you're still subject to, uh, Venmo censoring you, kicking you off your credit card, getting stolen, all of, you know, all of the typical problems that happen in the traditional payment uh, system. And so uh, Bitcoin solves that where you can, you know, go peer to peer, completely take control of your money uh, and not have to trust anyone else. Um, but then when you think about it in, in a, from a world view or these third world countries, uh, it really opens up the door uh, to the unbanked getting involved in uh, more, you know, the more of the day to day uh banking system, so to speak, uh, in which that they can completely have their own wallet that has their own Bitcoin in it, that they don't have to trust a bank or 
uh, you know, travel to go access their money or anything like that. It's all right there on their phone. And so when you think about, you know, I think the great, it's like a Jack Mallers example or like the El Salvador thing of, uh, you know, if someone, one of your family members is working in the U S and they're sending money back to you in El Salvador, if you typically or pre previous to the lightning network or Bitcoin, you had to go to like Western union and they, you'd have to send uh, them a Western union wire. And that was, you know, maybe took a 10% fee on it. So your hundred dollars went to $90. And then the person in El Salvador has to travel a couple hours on a bus ride to go to the nearest city to get that Western union payment and risk being robbed or something like that. Um, And then, you know, have to take the remainder of the day and go back home with, you know, less money than what they sent. With Bitcoin, with the Lightning Network, the person in the U.S. can send directly to their family member in El Salvador for zero zero fees and instantly. They get the whole thing without having to travel anywhere. And so it really opens up, you know, the the world to being connected through, you know, through these the through the Lightning Network and all of these things. We don't have to trust all of these other people and uh, start having everyone take a cut in the middle and uh, wait for you know, transaction times. I think that once you start using this, you realize how silly all of like these other, uh, the traditional banking system is and that, okay, if you want to send to Europe, you have to wait three days for it to clear and all of the, the stuff. I mean, it's, it's really nuts. Yeah. Take the middleman to the woodshed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a huge, huge fucking deal. And I think if you've been yeah. in Bitcoin for a while, you're kind of desensitized to how big of a deal this is. This is why mm-hmm. I just, I just soak up Gladstein anytime he puts out an article because what you're looking at here with Bitcoin, but especially these second layer solutions, which are, you know, creating the application layer for Bitcoin, I guess is one way you could put it. Yeah. You're looking at, well, I don't know what the number is. Let's say something like 1.7 billion people in the world are unbanked. If those individuals have access to the internet and a smartphone through protocols like the Lightning Network, bam, financial inclusion exists. You can yeah, enter, huge. you can you can get onto financial rails for the first time in your and your family's life by just having an internet connection and one application that taps you into the Lightning Network. It's mind-blowing, and the yeah. implications are tremendous even for more, humanity. Even more, though, that it's uncensorable, so they're, if they have some tyrannical right. government in, in some African country, they can't take their money. I mean... It's even it's way better than just a Venmo for Africa, you know? It's it's right. so much more than that. Well, that's yeah, that's like that's like they 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 like it's yeah, it's not a Venmo. They have their money. Like it it is theirs that no one can take from you. And it's like it's completely your property and you don't yeah, it's permissionless. You don't have to request access to go send or, you know, go buy a loaf of bread with it. Like it is your money. Um and it, it, I agree, it just completely opens up the door to so many new things. And then, you know, on top of the whole uh, currency inflation piece, like, you know, people in Venezuela or whatever, you you aren't, you don't have to just take, you know, previously their only option was to just take the inflated money and that's all you could do. And now it's opening you up to using a better source, a better store of value. Yes, absolutely. Uh, changing gears here a little bit. So we've seen a lot of these podcasting 2.0 apps like Sphinx has mm-hmm. got their tribe thing. Zion, I haven't paid a lot of attention to that project lately, but they're building that on top of Lightning, as far as I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, what other applications are possible on Lightning? Like other than what we're seeing, like are smart contracts similar to what are going on in Ethereum possible on Lightning? Is that something that can be built out? What would be the limitations for that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so yes, the a lot of the 
things that are being built out on Ethereum and these other chains uh, will be possible uh, through things like Lightning and whatnot, and like DLCs and uh, a lot of new, a lot of new smart contract functionality that is being built out on Bitcoin. Even like the base layer and Lightning with things like Taproot and a lot of these new protocol improvements, uh, consensus rule enhancements that are being made. It enables a lot more scriptability and uh, contracts to be created on top of Bitcoin. So uh, that's there's there's a lot that can be done there um, as far as like doing the whole programmable money piece on Bitcoin. Um, and that's where I think that, you know, the I'll derail for just a second. But that's why the whole problem with like Ethereum and these other chains is they kind of started in the programmable money and never really got the whole base layer of like the sound mm. money piece at all. They started programming and they're like, well, we'll figure out like the whole economics, the, the fiscal policy right. later where Bitcoin is starting with like the hardest money you that has ever been created. And then we'll create that scriptability later and do all these things on top of it. So they're coming at it from, you know, Bitcoin's bottom up, Ethereum was top down. Yep. And I mean, maybe, maybe I'm biased, but I think the Bitcoin's the right way to go. Um, I think that they're doing it in the correct way. Yeah. Um, and so we're enabling all these things. But going back to kind of your other point about like applications that could be used, uh, I think, I mean, it's, it's very vast about what can be built using the Lightning Network. And what I think is uh, a like the great kind of first use is just to start incorporating the Lightning into the existing like Web2 stuff, like the existing internet that we have today. And being able to, you know, podcasting is a great example of doing more of the value for value model where you are paying a, a cent a minute while you're listening to a, a song, while you're watching a video, while you're doing any of anything um, and being able to kind of cut out, you know, the subscription model or any of these things and literally just pay per use. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's like, that's uh, going to be a huge, a huge thing in, in our just everyday lives because it's going to make just the usability so much better. And it's not saying that we have to completely redo the entire internet. It's just saying plug in this better mechanism into what we already have and enhance it. Yeah. Yet another middleman that's just going to get taken to slaughter. It's, it's crazy yeah. to understand what, like how many of these guys intermediaries are just going to get crushed in the, in the near mm -hmm. to in near future. It is in your world, you work on the lightning network. This is an obvious statement, but it is just going to completely flip the subscription model on its head. You mm -hmm. are not, I, I highly doubt that in 15 years, you're going to be paying $14 a month for Netflix or whatever. You're going to be paying mm -hmm. per second or per minute. Last night's a great example, man. The wife and I started, uh, was it like Squid Games? It's got kind of oh, all the rage God. on Netflix and got two episodes it. in and I would like looked over. I'm like, you agree this is really shitty? Yeah. And she's like, <laughs> I do. We're like, all right, fuck it. You know, in the future, we'll just have paid for that hour and 20 minutes of content and some months we'll pay $22 for Netflix and the next month we'll pay 80 cents. You also start right. thinking about stuff. I mean, these are other, these are basic applications, but things like payroll, you're going to have people electing to get paid every second of every day with their salary mm -hmm. instead of getting paid, you know, twice a month. The whole micropayments thing, you know, over the internet, like I know it's just getting started and we're not as micro as it's going to get, but even like the strike rollout on Twitter, like, we had a couple dollars roll in last week. I mean, just what Big it stuff. unlocks for for connecting content creators to their audience is it's gonna mm -hmm. it's gonna change a lot in terms of how yeah. that rolls out on the internet. I'm sure you agree. 
Yeah, I mean, completely. And I, I absolutely agree that I think that a lot of things are going to be switching to a consumption-based model, um, which makes, I mean, it makes sense. And I think that people, I think it's like, so it's, what's amazing to me is it's better for both parties. And that, you know, if if I'm, I am more willing to pay more for Netflix in the month that I watch more, you know, content, where if, if I'm getting part charged per minute and I watch 20 bucks worth of Netflix, I'm okay with that because like, I know I did that. And then, you know, next month I go on vacation, I don't watch any, uh, you know, I pay less. So, and, and, and in that Netflix is also making more money when I'm watching more. Um, so I think that it's, it's good for both parties and that, uh, it really, uh, lets, you know, both world, both parties can benefit from it. And then you also think about what you just said about like, you know, the direct link between content creator and the content consumer. I, I mean, I think that's, that's spot on. And I think that through, what, what Adam Curry is doing with like the value for value and being able to even define like a split in the payments while you watch of like, Hey, give 5% to the producer, give, you know, 2% for, to this actor, 2% to this actor. And like, you know, just split up the payments. Um, I think that again is like, you know, let's people that are uh, stakeholders and whatever the content is, you know, get paid directly instead of, you know, the middleman. Yeah. I think that it's going to just cut out everything. I think the world is going to go peer to peer, right? Like there's right. no, it, it makes, makes no sense for it not to be. It makes everything so much more granular and mm-hmm. everything. I mean, in that scenario you just described, I'm sure that would all be delineated in a smart contract that those parties that are creating that content are going to sign together. And that'll always be distributed without having to worry about anyone um, screwing any other party over because there there's no one that can actually do any screwing in th- with that smart contract. It's crazy to think about mm-hmm. how that stuff's going to roll. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's, uh, I think we're just on the cusp, right? Like this is like, we're, we're just starting to see the possibilities of all this. And I think that it's gonna, it, it's things have been moving like incredibly fast, even the last six months with lightning. I think, I mean, it's just going to continue. Like things are really just going to, I think things are going to start exploding soon and we're going to really start reaping the benefits of all of this and see what's really possible. Where are we at with the current numbers in terms of how this is scaling from user involvement and liquidity on lightning and all that? Can you fill, yeah. fill us in some on where those metrics are at? The I was looking at one of the explorers this morning. I think we're at like over like 16,000 nodes on the network. Maybe it's like 16.5. Um, I think this week we just passed 3,000 Bitcoin on the lightning network. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's pretty substantial numbers, especially when you look at the growth charts of, you know, where we were even six months ago. Uh, I mean, it's just exploding in both terms of nodes, liquidity, all of these things are just really, really ramping up. Um, and again, I think it's just the beginning. I think that there's a lot more to be done with all of those numbers. Um, so we're, I mean, we're, we're at a, a steep, steep curve up, but, uh, I don't, I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Have those numbers, I just for reference sake, is that like doubled in the last year? Or like, where would we have been 12 months ago with those metrics? Any idea? Yeah, I'd have to go. I'd have to go look to tell you exactly. Um, But I think, I think it's been more than doubled over the last year. Wow. Um, I'd have to go like confirm, like maybe, maybe don't quote me on that exactly. But uh, I mean, it's it's been, it's been ridiculous. It's been uh, just huge growth. Are there any projects you've heard about that are uh, kind of, still ruminating on the street that haven't really hit uh, mainstream yet that are being developed on lightning that you can think of that just haven't really popped yet. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I mean, so you mentioned like Sphinx and podcast and like uh, Zion, all of these kind of um, social media apps or whatever. I think those are, those are doing well, but they are kind of uh, more 
popular, so to speak. But I think that there's um, there's things like Amboss, which is like a, a Lightning Network Explorer service, but they're doing kind of more and like building community around Lightning and being able to develop uh, like more more of a community around like your node and what's going on. Same thing with Lightning Network Plus, which is a website where you can uh, get. I mean, it's, it's you can get with other people and create what's called like a. Uh, I think it's called swaps where you can basically like, Hey, we'll all open a channel to each other to create um, liquidity uh, across the network and help, and help routing each other and whatnot. Um, so a lot of those applications, I think around like community building are really interesting and uh, starting to pop up. Um, and then I think that there's a lot, uh, a lot of work being done on improving the usability of lightning. So it's like things like routing or fee estimations, things like that to make it, easier to use so you aren't like getting stuck payments or something like that just improving how the network functions there's a lot of work being done there too let's transition into talking about voltage so yeah fill us in on what you folks are up to there yeah for sure so uh i mean like kind of like i mentioned at the beginning i mean we're doing bitcoin infrastructure so our our bread and butter is really lightning nodes we do host like bitcoin nodes btc pay server and things like that but the lightning nodes are definitely kind of our cornerstone product and so i mean through our platform you're able to like sign up, click a few buttons and give your node a name and a password. And, you know, you can be up and running on the Lightning Network in just two minutes. So we are making a platform that is super easy to use and super easy to get online. But then also we do a lot to like help you scale as you go. So we can, you know, be kind of hold your hand as you uh, ramp up your application or whatever it is that you're building and make sure that it's, it's top notch for whatever you're trying to do. And so that's kind of where our cornerstone product is really great lightning node hosting, but then we're also trying to create some products around making nodes easier to use than helping with liquidity management and getting channels, getting onboarded. Cause I mean, as, as you guys found out, you create, you create your node and then you're like, well, now what, like now what do I do? And you got to go like deposit Bitcoin into it, get open up a channel with who know if you don't have a buddy, it's like, well, who do I open up a channel to? So right. helping a lot of that onboarding is really what we're trying to solve right now. And the, and the shorter term is helping people get online in a much easier way. Who's your, who's your customer generally? Are they are like maybe some semi-large podcasts that don't want to have to run this node in order to have Sphinx paying them for their, you know, their contributions from their, uh, their listeners or who, yeah, who's mm-hmm. the customer? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, I have customers across the board, I would say. We have a decent amount of like just individuals that are people that, hey, I like I don't really have a, a steady home. Like I'm kind of a nomad. I'm just going all over the place mm, and I don't yeah. wanna, you know, I can't I really can't run like an umbrella or something at home. So we have we have actually a handful of those people. Um, but then it's really more into the people that are writing like the applications on top of Lightning. So developers on up. And we have a lot like so popular people are like Thunder Games, so um that's a mobile game where you can collect Satoshis as you're playing and then you can, you know, withdraw at the end, you know, they, they run on us to handle their, their lightning node. And then we have, you know, people like Zion Sphinx chat run on us. So it's all of these kind of really interesting, uh, lightning first applications are coming to us and, you know, figuring out how they need to run their nodes and how to, how to best provide good uptime backups, all of those things. So Really, really wide range, but uh, you know we're really focused on making those developer, you know, to business uh, solutions really, really solid. Is virtually is most, uh, if not all, of what's going on on Sphinx hosted by you folks? I, we don't do all of it. I don't. I honestly don't know the break, the makeup of like what percent of the Sphinx hosted nodes we do. But uh, I mean, we do a substantial piece of it. 
I think I, I heard you on with Marty Bent, and I think what clicked for me was just how many merchants in the future are going to need a platform like yours. Like if we mm -hmm. envision a future, a hyper Bitcoinized future, or I mean, even what's going on in El Salvador right now, if you're a merchant who's collecting a fair amount of Bitcoin and you're not super tech savvy and you don't know how to manage all this stuff, what a great option for you to get up and running stress-free and mm -hmm. be collecting that. I'm assuming you're onboarding more and more of those people and that's a big hole you plan to fill in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that that's a great summary of there's a lot of there's a lot of people that want to take advantage of everything that we've been talking about with, you know, peer to peer payments, global payments, all of these things, but they maybe aren't so technical or like running a node is really daunting and figuring out, oh, how am I gonna do the channel backups? How am I gonna make sure this thing doesn't crash? Like all like there's there's a lot of, you know, intricacies that you gotta take care of when running a node. And I think that it's very overwhelming for someone just coming to, you know, just exploring using lightning for their business. And so that's exactly right that, you know, we're trying to provide a great service for them to do that. But then also, you know, we have a great support team to help them along the way of, you know, coaching them. How are you going to integrate this? How, what do you need to do as far as node management goes? Like what, you know, how do you really take full advantage of the, this, this network and really use it to your advantage? And so, yeah, we're trying to, to help those people as much as we can get, get up and running. In terms of your cloud-based model, so I'm sure there's people in our audience, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to assuage some fears right now because they're thinking, well, <laughs> this hardware's, you know, it's cloud-based stuff. A lot of this is running on AWS and whatnot. Maybe uh, walk us through the security and encryption and how, like, certainly there are some risks and you can touch on that, but there's no concern with them being mm -hmm. able to decrypt any of what's actually going on on your node. Let's go down that path a little bit mm -hmm. for our audience that may have some concerns there. Yeah, for sure. So uh, that's that's something that we, I mean, took very seriously as we were developing the platform. We didn't want to just take the standard Lightning node and just throw it up in AWS and just kind of let it go. Um, so we we have done a lot of work, like we've contributed to LND, the light, one of the Lightning Network implementations to make it more secure um, by you know encrypting the Tor private key, the TLS private key, all of like any of that sensitive information is never on disk unencrypted. Um, everything is encrypted to your password at all times. And then uh, there's an additional feature called stateless init, which I won't, I won't go into like the super, super low level details, but it basically, through this encryption and the stateless init feature, we aren't able to see what's going on in your node. So the nodes that we run are black boxes to us. We can't see your balance, your channels, your peers, your payments. We don't know anything about your node. Even when we're looking on like 1ML, I mean, because the nodes are run on Tor, I don't even, I don't even know which nodes are ours, which is like, is very intentional that like, I don't know who of these people are running on our platform. So we we took a very, very privacy first and secure first model with how we created the platform. And so through that, you know, there's no sensitive material that is ever on disk in your nodes. Everything is encrypted all the time. We don't know your password um, when you are creating your node. The, you, the Our dashboard is written so it communicates directly to your node. So it's like client side requests making you know, directly to your node. So uh, we don't, we don't know your, your password. So that's kind of like the main encryption, your database is encrypted to the password. We don't know what it is. Uh, we do things like backups of your macaroon and seed phrase, but we again, encrypt it to your password client side. So we have an encrypted backup. So 
you know, we have it for safekeeping, but we still could never access what that is. And, you know, as long as you have your password, you're always able to get to it. Wow. That's, I think that's music to a lot of people's ears to hear that literally everything from the front to the back is encrypted with their password. So yeah, no prying eyes. I mean, even if you guys were issued a subpoena, you're not going to be able to access any information on any one of those nodes with that being, you yeah. know, with that security scheme. Right. Yeah, exactly. And like the, you know, we could, we could hand a, a government a nodes database and it'd be like, all right, good luck. Like, you know, have fun with it. Um, and I mean like, that's like, that's, that's something that we were very intentional with when we created the platform. I mean, I didn't, like I said, I didn't want to just throw up L and D and just kind of let things go, which like L and D has database encryption by default, but with all of these, you know, the passwords and the macaroons and you know, the access keys, uh, you know, we didn't want to just, we didn't want to have access to that, frankly. And so, you know, we created a platform that, you know, removed all of that. From the user end, I'm assuming it just, the user interface is the exact same as if, if you had your own node running in your living room, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And so we try like, you know, even though we do all of this kind of crazy security stuff, we tried to make it still very easy to use. We didn't want to, you know, uh, sacrifice the UX of it by making it more secure. So our dashboard handles, you know, all of the, the encryption, all that stuff for you. And then once you have a node running with us, you get full access to all of the APIs. And so what that means is you can hook up any application to your node, whether it's, you know, we have Thunderhub running on our platform already, but you could hook up your own ride to Lightning or Boss or Zeus or any of these mobile wallets. It's, it's, it's the same as you running the node in your own house or anything like that. You have full access to it. You can do whatever you want, hook up any application to it. Can you explain to our audience why they would be, why they would want to run their own node versus just trusting Moon Wallet or, or Blue Wallet or any mm. of these other actors out there? Yeah, I mean, it goes it goes back to you know the talks of like Venmo and whatnot. It's still like, it's not your money. It's you have an IOU to your money. Um, and if you know, God forbid, one of those platforms got hacked or something like that, you know, you they probably don't have insurance on your money. You know, your money's basically gone, and so uh, you're still trusting someone else with your money. And then additionally, uh, I don't, you don't get, it depends on your use case, but you don't get as much of the the benefits out of the, the network as you could with running your own node. And there's applications like Breeze and whatnot that are completely uh, non-custodial. So it's kind of gives you that, the easy usability of just having a node on your phone and still having complete control of the funds. So uh, there's some good solutions out there for that too. But if uh, the, an important distinction of the Lightning Network compared to the the base layer Bitcoin is that you have to be online to send and receive on Lightning. Bitcoin, it's just sends to your address. Doesn't matter whether you're online, offline, whatever. Lightning, you have to your node has to be online to receive, and so that is a little problematic with things like mobile wallets because well, if you need to receive, you have to like open up the app so it's running, sync, and then receive a payment. So there's a UX trade off there where if you were running your own node. Uh, you know, it's always there. People can send and receive to you or mm. send to you at any time. It's ready to accept the payments. And then additionally, you can do routing, which you can earn fees while when you do routing, um, which can can be, uh, you know, a little bit of a revenue source for you as well if you routed payments. Would it would it be possible if, if say, Dan and myself decided that we want to run uh, a node Im- implementation uh, with you guys, could each of us have our own separate implementation on that wallet for like our referencing back to like say moon wallet on my phone and, and blue light blue, blue uh, wallet on his phone. Is that possible with a single node or would they have to be two separate nodes in order to do that? Uh, so 
I, well, so I guess for those applications, I don't think, well, I think you can connect like Blue Wallet to like the uh, LND hub or whatever, but I think Moon Wallet, I don't think you can connect it to a node, but to re- you like you basically would have to have your own nodes. There's services like Ellen Bits and some of these open source applications that let you kind of take a single node and split it out and create like individual wallets inside of the node. Yeah. Um, so there are ways to do that. We don't host Ellen Bits on our platform yet. We're working on it, so that will one day be uh, a possibility. Um, so today you kind of have to have your own nodes, but uh, in the future there will be ways to almost like partition off you know certain certain pieces of your node for certain wallets. Okay. Very cool. I'm going to ask you here to be slightly self-deprecating. Um, <laughs> what what is the biggest concern or trade-off with this cloud-based Lightning model that you guys are working on? Like, if if you yeah. were to be dead honest and say, "All right, here is the risk you're assuming by not running the hardware yourself and trusting us in the or, and and moving it to the cloud to 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 the AWS or wherever you guys are hosted," what would mm-hmm. your response to that? Yeah, and like I'm, I always like to be like very upfront and honest about like what what our platform is and like you know the trade offs that do exist because uh, I mean there is like and that's where we uh, we like to call ourselves like non custodial but we're not trustless so nodes are black boxes to us but you still have to trust us that we are running the nodes in the way that we say we are yeah um, so there's there's not really a way around that like that's you know with the hosted model you there is a certain level of trust where if you're running your umbral in your own house non-custodial, zero trust, it is your device, you know, you have access to everything. So it is completely yours. Where with us, we we do like, I mean, I like to say that we're not like an anonymous Twitter profile that's like saying, hey, come run your nodes with us and never like, you know, never coming out of the closet of who we are. You know, we're a registered company in the US and like I'm, you know, I show my face everywhere. So like yeah. we're, I think you can have maybe some assurance in that, that we are doing what we say we are. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, there is a level of trust that is assumed when running on our platform that, you know, we're doing what we say we're good actors, all of these things. Yeah. I think too, when people have those kinds of questions, I mean, there's always different layers of trust. Like Dan and I mm-hmm. are trusting that Umbrel is honest and that they, the code right. that they wrote, For sure. it, I mean, cause Dan and I don't know anything about code. I mean, I looked it over Graham. Yeah. Um, we, we poured it over seemed to check out on my end, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. seriously, so, it's like, we're a couple of firemen. We don't right. fucking know if the umbrella code's legit. There's an element of trust there for sure. So there's, yeah. I mean, there's people yeah. in this community that we lean on. Like, um, I just what comes to mind is Matt O'Dell and some people like Bitcoin QA who recommend certain things because they are people that I think know a lot more about the security aspect of these things than I do. And mm-hmm. so I'm trusting their deference. And so all of us are trusting something at some point along this path, unless we're literally yeah. Bitcoin core developers and we can audit all this code ourselves. So I guess you really have to just determine what level of trust you're comfortable with and how sovereign you want to try to be and how far you can take that within your own technical abilities. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you I mean you're exactly right. And that you know, if you wanted to be you're right that you know to have 100% assurance of everything that's going on, you got to basically like write the applications yourself or audit all of the code yourself, like do all these things which like, you know, not many people can do. And so you're right that there's always a level of trust involved and it's just a matter of, you know, what what level works for you. And that's where like, you know, completely trusted is like a hosted wallet, like Wallet of Satoshi or what are like these custodial platforms. And then, you know, you can like go down the stack to like, you know, your own, even go like maybe the bottom's like not even Umbral. It's like running your own, your own, uh, setting up L&D yourself, doing all these things yourself. So uh, there's a lot, there's like, there's levels to it. And it's just a matter of your personal preference and what you, you know, what you want to see out of it. The thing I love about what you folks are doing too, is you have the whole spectrum covered. So we we're talking 
massive large scale nodes like Sphinx and other things we've talked about, but also the opportunity you provide. And I think an area we can, should, and will plug is if you want to experiment with a Bitcoin node and you don't feel like spending the 400 bucks to get the hardware set up. And mm-hmm. I know Umbrella makes it easy and they do, they do a yeah, great job, yeah. but there's still friction there. Like th- there's a big yeah. difference between from not having a node to having an Umbrella node for a lot of people that yeah. aren't Bitcoiners is a big step. You're providing a solution to say, hey, for 10 bucks a month, 20, 30, whatever package you want, here's an opportunity for you to get mm. on the Bitcoin network, experiment with some of these applications and decide if you want to take the next step. For our audience, I see that coming into play big time. Yeah. Hey, yeah. 20 bucks for a couple months. Mess around with it. See if it's for you, you know? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, it's like it's super easy to get started and just start playing around with it and see see if you like it, see how you like using it. Um. And then, you know, you you want to go do an umbral after six months, like, you know, go do it. Like, that's fine. And I think that that's, you know, we definitely want to provide that easy onboarding, you know, to get people like I think we're at the stage of lightning where we just want people on board. We just want people using this and experimenting yeah. with it. And then, you know, everyone will win after that. Um, so that's kind of like our take on it. And uh, we just want to make, you know, the process just as, as easy as we can um, and just, you know, provide solutions like, you know, help, help these people get on board. One uh, area I wanted to probe, this is switching gears a little bit, is how you feel the you know second layer solutions like Lightning and then whether it's other second layer solutions like Liquid or third layer solutions in the future, how they're going to affect the base layer security model of Bitcoin. And here's kind of where I'm going with that. I think in the heads of a lot of folks, the thought is, well, this is just going to move things off chain. There's just going to be less movement on chain. I was listening to Harry Suddock on with, I think it was Peter McCormick the other week. And mm-hmm. he was mentioning that there is a growing thesis that as we move into a world where we go from you know 100 million to 500 million to a couple billion users, mm-hmm. and there's all of this movement on these second and third layers, and every single time a lightning, you know, uh, channel is open, there's an on-chain transaction that the argument can be made that, yes, we're moving things off-chain to scale, but in the end, it's going to lead to more base-chain security. What's your thought on the future of scaling and how it pertains to base-layer Bitcoin security? Does it concern you? Does it make you more bullish? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, no, I... I... I'm bullish on it. I think that uh, it makes it makes a lot of sense in just like the life cycle of Bitcoin. And I think that there's another argument that people say that if we're using Lightning and doing all the transactions on Lightning, miners aren't making their fees anymore because there's no transactions on the base layer, which I think is incorrect for what you just said. There's still like the channel openings. There's still there will still be activity on the base layer. Those large like million dollar transaction probably won't be happening on the Lightning Network anytime soon. Those those will always exist. Um, and so I think that uh, it does it does enhance the security of the base layer, and that we can also uh, do things where we aren't clogging the mempool with you know really small transactions. Where if mm. you remember, I don't know, maybe it was like 2017, 18, I can't remember when, but like there was a time where the mo- the mempool was super clogged. You like it was. I remember it was a ridiculous fee environment. I paid a seventy five dollar fee in two thousand seventeen. Yeah, 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 and like, like that's not great usability. Like, uh, it's like that's not something that people want to see when they're using Bitcoin. And so, by removing all, like, moving a lot of those transactions off, where we can just do, you know, maybe one larger transaction, 
uh, it clears up a lot of space for the chain to run more efficiently. Um, so I think that it helps Bitcoin and that uh, it moves off a lot of these smaller payments to make room for, you know, what, what needs to happen uh, in, you know, in the, the normal base layer of these large transactions. And then there's also like improvements going on, like both uh, in the spec and in implementations to do things like channel batching where, it's one on-chain transaction, but you're opening, say, 10 lightning channels. Um, so there's things like that that can even further improve the on-chain footprint of the lightning network. So uh, I think that I don't think that it's going to like you know steal revenue from miners. I think that there will still be tons of on-chain activity to you know keep them well compensated. Uh, and then I think it's just only going to increase the efficiency of both layer one and layer two. Graham, I want to put you on the spot here. And I'd be remiss mm-hmm. if I didn't ask this question. Over under one hundred thousand by the end of December. By the end, yeah, I've, I've been thinking about this more because we're we're at like I think we broke fifty k today. We're at yeah, just over fifty k. Um, so I think I think I'm gonna be under, but I'm gonna be at like eighty k or something. So I think we're gonna be a substantially up from here, but I don't know if we'll be at hundred k by end of year. I think it'll be next year that we break 100K. Ooh, that's a long time for a lot of plebes to wait. They're not, they're impatient. Yeah. I mean, hey, I I never thought, we, I mean, I couldn't imagine the day we were at $50,000 for a Bitcoin. And I was in it and when it's it was normal. like $5. And it's normal. You yeah. know, like everyone's and like, no, oh, it's only 50 grand. I thought I it was know, gonna... it's like, it's totally normal now. And yeah. that's what I, I sent a tweet out that I actually, I deleted I regrettably because I cleared out my Twitter like years and years ago. But I tweeted the day that Bitcoin broke twenty dollars. I said these bitcoins are getting expensive, <laughs> and now I'm like, well, shit, I should have bought more. Yeah, we all VJ Boyapati <laughs> talks about it in the bullish case where it's like, as an asset is monetizing, the framework for what is expensive and what is cheap is just total. It moves constantly, and it is. Yeah. It, it, however long you've been involved in Bitcoin, you know, for us, our framework goes back to 2017. It is it is mind blowing when people are freaking out when it dips down to forty some thousand or whatever. When you have that framework, mm-hmm. remembering yeah. back to when you got involved, and it'll it, it'll continue that that frame of reference will continue to adjust. Yeah, to, yeah, you know, totally. And it's like it's like a it's a life cycle that you, it's kind of like a learning experience that you have to go through. Where you know originally you're really like you're really scared about these dips and everything that happens, and then over time you get to a point where every dip is just a buying opportunity and you just get excited for it because you know, it's going to go up later. I got cheap stats right now. I can load up and you know, it's going to go up at at a later date. Before we let you go, I want to get your thoughts on what's going on in El Salvador. So, Mm -hmm. um, sitting on the sidelines, not knowing much about the lightning protocol. I've been surprised that this is even a workable solution over there. Um, like, mm-hmm. I guess question number one, it's exciting. It's cool. But mm-hmm. is the Lightning Network ready for this move in El Salvador? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think that I think that it is and it's functioning well right now. And that's primarily like a lot of it is because of a lot of the custodial solutions out there. So like there's like McDonald's and Starbucks are using OpenNode. 
the government has like their Chiva wallet, which is a custodial. A lot of people are using Strike, which is custodial. So through the the custodial solutions, it's able to like function pretty well. And like, that's fine. Like, that's great for like, you know, this original experiment or the original bootstrapping of how all of this is going to work. And then, you know, hopefully as we move along, it goes more non-custodial. And I think that's just like a natural evolution. But I think that, you know, where we are today, from what I've seen, it's functioning pretty well. I think that the biggest, from what I have heard from what's going on in El Salvador, the biggest problem is the people that are opposed to it are just not educated. And so it's almost like the government rolled it out like, hey, here's this new mandate. You have to start using Bitcoin and didn't really explain what Bitcoin is. Why is it beneficial? Why is it going to help you? And I think that there's a lot of opposition to it just because of lack of education where people didn't understand what was going on. And so I think that was the bigger challenge in the El Salvador rollout was people didn't really understand what was happening. It's hard enough to understand this stuff when you purposely want to and dig into it. I mean, having it kind of forced on you and it's entirely different. And I'm, I, I can understand that people are, have trepidation and, and just don't understand this thing, especially when it's, you know, suddenly your country's money and you had no idea what it was. Right. And it's all of a sudden like, Oh, you, I think it's like, I I haven't been super like involved in like the laws, but I think it's like a requirement that, you know, if you are able to accept it as a business, you have to. And so I think that that was like, I think it just got sprung on a lot of people there of like, you know, there's this new technology that I'm like forced to accept right now. Like what, what's going on? And I think that that's like, there's been a lot of Bitcoiners that are kind of opposed to the whole El Salvador thing because it's like a, a government forcing, like forcing people into this where, you know, uh, Bitcoin is more of a, you know, a free will type, uh, uh, type protocol where, you know, use it if you want, don't use it if you don't, don't want to. Um, and so I think there's been a little bit of opposition, even in the Bitcoin community to it, because, it's a state forcing something on its people, which is like, you know, anti-libertarian, anti-what kind of Bitcoin is about. But I mean, you can kind of split that either way. It is crazy to think about the fact that in El Salvador, the vast majority of these folks aren't even interacting with the base chain. It's all on the second layer. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's, I think that's, that's one of the very cool pieces of it. And I think that as I see Bitcoin scaling and, you know, we bring it to more and more people there, like, I think the base layer is going to be more of an anomaly than the lightning network is. Everyone's going to onboard into the lightning network. And then it's going to be like this kind of weird thing where you have to do like an on-chain payment. Um, Maybe I'm a little like crazy to think that, but I think that a lot of onboarding is going to be directly into the lightning network and you know, you start at the layer two. Yeah. And I mean, the thing that's so cool now, this is the custodial aspect aside, because I know that's a, that's a Mm -hmm. big thing to brush aside for a lot of Bitcoiners. And I know a lot of what's going on in El Salvador is the vast majority of it's all custodial, but what's so cool about lightning. And I tweeted something about this this morning is that, you know, I said, I said this, I said, the Bitcoin main chain is the most resilient and trustworthy ledger in human history. The Lightning Network harnesses these ultrasound characteristics and enables instant and frictionless transfer of micropayments. You can have your cake and eat it too. The, the gorgeous thing about the Lightning Network is you're still, you are still harnessing all the characteristics of that base chain with the scalability and frictionlessness of the second layer. Mm-hmm. It's remarkable. I mean, it really fill it really fills in the future for where this is going. At least for me, like even even getting involved in 2017, 
started doing my research, you know, you're reading, I was reading Andreas Antonopoulos's The Internet of Money One, and he's talking about micropayments and things like this. And you're like, how exactly is this going to work? Especially mm-hmm. when you're paying these high on-chain fees. When Lightning Network first got introduced and then watching it mature, for me, it's like that final peg that's like, oh, this tent is going up. Like This is how this mm-hmm. thing scales infinitely and becomes not only a store of value asset, but also just an unstoppable medium of exchange. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, I don't think the rocket's going to come back to Earth. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I 100% am with you. And I think that that's, this is the way that we scale Bitcoin. This is the way that we bring it to a billion plus people um, in the world is, you know, through the Lightning Network. So yeah, I think that that's what's amazing about it is it's incredibly good at scaling, but it also is, you know, has all of the characteristics of Bitcoin. You know, we're not, this isn't, we're not creating some new token that has some new governance model that's doing different issuance. It's, it's Bitcoin. It's just using it in an easier way. Bram, this has been fantastic. We appreciate your time. Give our audience a handoff to you and Voltage. Where can they find you? Sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at G-K-R-I-Z-E-K. Uh, Voltage is Voltage.cloud. Uh, Twitter handle is like at Voltage underscore cloud. So yeah, hit us up if you're interested in Lightning. Uh, I mean, just just message us. Like We'll be happy to help you get onboarded or whatever you need to, I mean, just start playing with it. So uh, if nothing else, start looking at Lightning. Download like a, a wallet on your phone or something. I mean, this is, uh, a, t- to me, this is discovering Bitcoin a second time. This is like, okay, you know Bitcoin? Well All right, go learn Lightning because it is that it's the next thing. Yes. And you can just be go down a whole new rabbit hole that you didn't even know existed. That's well said. And I've never thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right because the you know just the last few weeks of really trying to dig into lightning it's it what it feels a lot like 2017 when i was like wait what is mining how does this work and trying to rock that entire situation so yeah it is over it's like a little bit been a little bit of a bummer almost it's like all right i feel like i got a handle on the base chain now this is a whole (laughs) nother frontier but that yeah for for the average user you know we said this earlier in the episode they're not going to need to get bogged down by any of these dirty details they can just sit. Right. In the, they can just sit in the carriage on the trail with Josh and I while you pull the heavy horses. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you can you can get as involved as you want to. If you just want to use it for easy payments, you can do that. If you want to start developing apps on it, you can. So it's like it's great in that you know you can choose how involved you want to get with it, and the usability is only going to increase. We are never you know getting going worse from here. There's tons of improvements going on to make this all easier to use. Graham, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys. I appreciate it. It's been great. Take care. Thanks for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at blue underscore collar BTC. We invite questions, comments, and inquiries of any kind, and our email is bluecollarbitcoinpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to you joining us next time on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast.